0: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined by Admiral James Stavridis, former Allied Supreme Commander of NATO, former uh, head of America's Southern Command and European Command. Uh, Of course, he's retired now. He is the uh, chairman of the board of the Rockefeller Foundation, a partner at the Carlyle Group. Admiral, welcome back. I like to begin with my guest with just an open question. What do you make of events in Russia, Ukraine, and the West over the last 48 hours?
1: Well, first of all, Hugh, happy birthday. Thank Let's you. Let's start with that. Um, and we'll always remember that on your birthday, Russia invaded Ukraine. That's right. There's no other. there's no <laughs> other way to... To define an, an invasion, I tell you, this is dean of a graduate school of international relations in a previous life. An invasion is the imposition of armed troops on a sovereign nation for political purpose without the permission of that nation. Doesn't matter whether it's a, a squad of spets knots, a flotilla of warships into territorial waters or 200,000 troops coming across borders. So we're in the invasion Uh, scenario at this point. And the question becomes, what do we do about it? I'm hoping to see the administration take some very strong measures as the next day or so unfolds. And the reality that we are not going to find a diplomatic path out of this settles into us all. Now, Jennifer
0: Griffin is a very fine reporter with Fox News, tweeted this out in a passionate message to troops. Ukraine's defense minister, quote, The Kremlin has made yet another step towards the resurrection of the Soviet Union with a new Warsaw Pact and Berlin Wall. The only thing that stands in between is Ukraine and its army. Our choice is simple to defend our country, our homes, our families. Nothing has changed for us. Tough road lies ahead. There will be losses. The pain, fear, and disbelief shall be overcome, but victory shall be our reward. Because we are on our land and the truth is with us, many guided by emotions will urge to chaotic decisions. We will not allow this. Our strength is in unity, confidence and in cool heads. Be patient. Hold the line for our brother's memory. For those we
1: love, glory to the armed forces of Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. What do you make of that, Admiral? I think it's well said. And uh, let's also reflect on 2 a.m. yesterday. The president, uh, Zelensky, made a similar speech, equally emotional. You know, Slavs are emotional people. And when it comes to blood and soil, they will fight and they will fight hard. And there are 250,000 soldiers in the Ukrainian army. The Ukrainians have been uh, encouraging civilians to sign up in a reserve corps. We are flooding the zone with weapons. We're really laying the groundwork for a resistance movement. If Putin decides to go full Monty, Blitzkrieg, go to Kiev here, um, I, I hope he does not do that. I suspect he will park where he is, create a frozen conflict, uh, as he did in Georgia, as he did in Crimea already. And then we might have some trade space for negotiation at that point. But if he decides to pull the pin and march to Kiev, I think he's going to run into a buzzsaw from the Ukrainians. Now, Ambassador O'Brien, the former National Security Advisor, was uh, interviewed by
0: Axios yesterday. Axios' lead story this morning. Ex-Trump advisor calls on the United States to prepare for Ukrainian government in exile. Uh, He has basically outlined the Churchill option, which is invite Zelensky to maintain the UN seat, the Zelensky government, the World Bank. Everybody deals with Zelensky, not with Putin's puppets. What do you make of the O'Brien proposition?
1: Oh, 100 percent agreement. I've been saying that for a number of weeks. Um, We need to think specifically and in concrete terms, what would this look like? What would it mean? Step one would be to get the Zelensky government out of Kyiv in enough time before a Russian advance, get them at least to the far west, to the city of Lviv where the U.S. is moving, many of its embassy personnel, many Western nations are. And then you need a plan C, if that's plan B. Plan C is government in exile. Where is it going to go? I'd I'd nominate Warsaw. Uh, Another location might be London. The model, I think you mentioned Churchill, of that generation. The model is actually Charles de Gaulle, who ran the Free French Government in Exile for years Um, This is starting to look like the 1930s. We need to prepare for the 1940s, which is to say uh, a resistance movement alongside a government in exile. That's Putin's worst nightmare, in my view. And I think to the degree there is deterrence left to shake at him, it would be through those two mechanisms. Now, uh, Chancellor Scholz, the
0: new replacement of Merkel, announced that he won't be signing the final paperwork for Nord Stream 2. That's not exactly blowing up Nord Stream 2, but it's better than nothing. And I remember in the 80s when Mitterrand became the socialist president of France in those era, became as strong as Reagan vis-a-vis Brezhnev and his successors. Do you think there's a chance that Schultz understands he really has to be as tough as Mitterrand was?
1: I do. I'm quite encouraged by Chancellor Schultz. If you look at uh, he's only been in office uh, a couple of months and he's coming in behind uh, a four term chancellor in Angela Merkel. Um, and he has, in my view, done all the right moves, which is to say he's consistently aligned with NATO. He came to Washington. He and President Biden made strong statement together. And here we see the actual uh, Implementation of what the Biden administration has asked for, which is to shut down Nord Stream 2. And, and by the way, a lot of people have this kind of apocalyptic view that if Putin turns off the taps, uh, the lights go out in Europe and no one's going to have heat in their homes. That, that's not what's going to happen. If you look at the total energy consumption of Europe, Western Europe, natural gas is only 20%. Putin controls about half of that. So you're looking at about a 10 percent decrement in total energy need. I think that can be made up uh, by LNG from the United States, liquefied national ga- natural gas, as well as from the Gulf states. Um, you know, it'll be hard. It'll be a scramble. Uh, but I think it is survivable. And at the other end of the transaction, Putin, you're taking away a key source of revenue for him. Uh, ain't all bad. And I commend the chancellor for... Uh, at least doing this interim step of shutting it down. I've said for a long time, if Putin invades Ukraine, ain't going to be nothing whistling through Nord Stream 2 but air for a long I, time.
0: I, hope th- I wish they would be more specific. Maybe that will be coming. But I nurse this Mitterrand hope because Mitterrand surprised us all in the 80s and he was tough as nails on the Soviets. Let me turn, if I can, to Poland and Lithuania. The people who are most in danger beyond the Ukrainians are probably the Lithuanians. There's a Russian enclave within Lithuania. But that's an Article 5. Would we really go to war over Lithuania, Admiral?
1: 100%. And I think that um, also at risk is Estonia, an even smaller nation, just over a million people in Estonia. But it has a fairly significant uh, Russian-speaking minority. Putin has made noises about this as well. And don't forget, Estonia, Lithuania and Latvia were all at one time part of the of the USSR and part of the Russian Empire. So it kind of falls into this in my view deeply flawed argument that Putin is using about Ukraine. So yes, the Baltics ought to be particularly concerned. Poland has its own very bad history, shall we say, with Russia. And uh, so these nations are lucky to be behind the Article 5 guarantee. The two that I think are interesting to look at in this moment, Hugh, are Finland and Sweden, who do not have Article Five guarantees, have exceptionally strong militaries, are watching this debacle in Ukraine unfold and have to be thinking, maybe this is time for us to join the NATO alliance. That, again, is part of Vladimir Putin's worst nightmare. The grand irony here is that Putin's actions are going to create a series of strategic failures for the Russian Federation. He ought to be a better chess player than he seems to be.
0: Now, now his speech yesterday, I don't know if you watched the simultaneous translation or just picked up the news. That's not a normal person's speech.
1: It is not. And, and by the way, um, you don't have to be a fluent Russian linguist. Uh, just watch the clips of that. Putin does not look well. He looks very heavy and puffy. His eyes look bad. Uh, He's snapping his head in weird moments. The whole choreography of it is off. Um, And he's got 6,000 nuclear weapons. I mean, this is a, a very worrisome period of time for the world. Now,
0: in terms of the people around him, I used to know everybody on the top of Lenin's tomb, but they don't do that anymore. There's only Putin and then there's the head of the FSB and the head of the other the, the international group, and then I don't know anyone. Is there anyone that can check him, or is he genuinely as isolated as Stalin became towards the end? There was never that. Khrushchev, Brezhnev, even um, uh, the fellow who ran the KGB for a while—his name will come to me—that uh, succeeded Chernenko, not Chernenko, but the the other guy. They all had Andrew people around. And pop.
1: that's it. They all had people around him. Is there anyone around Putin that can check him? No. And that is why we ought to be very, very, very concerned. I think there is not only no one who can check him, as far as I can tell, and going back through my own knowledge of our intelligence, um, there is not only nobody who can check him, there is nobody he listens to. So it, again, very dangerous moment and so you have to make some tactical choices here about how to respond Um, you want to respond in a way that does not push the world to the brink of a nuclear collision with russia on the other hand i think it is a moment for strength i think it is a moment for um, extremely sweeping economic sanctions arming the ukrainians again preparing for a ukrainian government in exile to run that resistance This is not the time to give Vladimir Putin a lot of space on the international stage.
0: You know, Admiral, last question. I've met a a few people who have met Putin and I have their assessments. I don't know if you met Putin when you were head of NATO. Did you?
1: Briefly. What what do you make it?
0: Who do you compare him to in your reading of history and your reading of of modern times?
1: I don't think there is a comparative figure. What I worry about him most deeply is that he seems to be driven by anger and resentment. You know, Napoleon said a leader is a dealer in hope. Vladimir Putin is a dealer in fear. And that is a bad quality in a leader. And
0: grievance. I mean, that speech yesterday was all grievance. I mean, it's all made up. The history that he made up. I guess Russians don't like the fact that Kiev is actually older than the Russe, Right.
1: It is indeed. And there's a lot of old, bad history between Ukrainians and Russians. Putin tends to gloss right over that. You know, for an American audience, what Putin is doing is as if the United States looked to the north at Canada and said, hmm, British Columbia and Alberta, two provinces of Canada, um, they speak the same language. They're kind of like us. Well, they've been intertwined with us. We had fur trappers that operated up there in the 18th century. I guess they really ought to be part of the United States of America. That's
0: roughly the are <laughs> right. of what he's doing. And he'd add that we took Montreal once, <laughs> even though we gave it back. Uh, Admiral James Stavridis, thank you. Follow him on Twitter, J. Come right back to The Hugh Hewitt Show.
2: Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show on a bad day. It is the uh, biggest uh, European act of war since World War II. I'm quiet because (laughs) it's uh, unnatural for a talk show host to be quiet or for me to be quiet for that matter. There is, uh, there is so much to say and I'm trying to order it properly. First is it a, a question that I have no answer to is why did he do it? Yesterday I had George Friedman on, a man whose knowledge and wisdom, that's a more important one, is unsurpassed in international affairs. And he believes that the Russians uh, are simply, he didn't use the word, I'll use it, paranoid with regard to being attacked. They were attacked by Napoleon, staggering destruction. They were attacked by Hitler, staggering destruction and staggering loss of life. And these things weigh on one's mind. Memory is a big deal. Some people forget what happened in their past, some people remember. Russia has been scorched by attacks. They were very much afraid of an eastern attack by Japan for, uh, for many years. In fact, there was a Russo-Japanese war in the beginning of the 20th century. That was the name of the war, actually. The Russo-Japanese War. So there is... Has been since 1991 and the fall of the wall. There has been a, a fear of being encircled by hostile Western democracies. Now, it's interesting to think if... What does it mean to be circled by hostile Western democracies? Are Western democracies known for unprovoked attacks on other countries? Why doesn't, I don't know, Luxembourg, very tiny country, why doesn't it fear? It's encircled by NATO countries and by Western democracies, why doesn't Luxembourg fear an attack? Russia comprises one-ninth of the world's surface. Did you know that? Isn't that astonishing, how big it is? So Luxembourg has no fear from Western democracies and Russia does. Now why would that be, since Western democracies are not known for unprovoked attacks on other countries. They're not even known for any attacks on other countries. (laughs) Who's going to attack them? Germany? Germany today uh, is as pacifist as a country can get. The United Nations? Do you know what the United Nations Secretary General said? I wonder if my uh, producer knows this. Do you know what he said? This is after the attack. I implore, I don't know if it was President Putin or Russia, give peace a chance. He actually used the words. It was a precious moment. I I expected them to roll out a band. All we are saying is give peace a chance. who Who is Putin exactly afraid of? in terms of an offensive aggression against him. So even if one attempts a great understanding of the Russian mentality or Putin's mentality, it doesn't in any way excuse what was done. If you think you have enemies and then you start slashing people on the subway station because you think they're about to kill you, you're a a nut. You are a homicidal maniac, right? So it's extremely difficult to deal with this issue when there is no rational, even... Putting the moral issue aside, there's no rational basis. Ukraine is going to attack Russia? Who's going to attack Russia? People say, well, how would we feel if Mexico had Russian weapons? There's a big difference. If Russia were as benign as Luxembourg or even France or Germany, we wouldn't care. It's it's a valid and an invalid analogy. And people may have mentioned it, but there was no serious talk about Ukraine joining NATO. As if NATO was something to be feared anyway. So as to the question of uh, why he did this, the the answer is in is in psychological the psychological sphere but it's not primarily i really fear being attacked by the west rather it is i was really humiliated when the soviet union collapsed this is a former kgb agent remember that is who he is, and their nostalgia for two things: the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. Isn't it interesting? Think about it. Russia, nuclear weaponed, weaponized Russia, the largest country on Earth by far. They're paranoid. But the countries around Russia have no right to be paranoid. You understand how inverted this thinking is? Well, Russia, you know, they they don't want to be encircled by NATO. Oh, but Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania being encircled by Russia, there's nothing to worry about, guys. I read about the atrocities And the the enslavement of the Estonians, Lithuanians, and, what was it, Estonia, Lithuania, and, uh, what what was it, Latvia, and the Latvians. Yep. Most people have no idea what the Russians, what the Soviets slash Russians did to the Baltic states. Not to mention the enslavement of Poland, Hungary, Bulgaria, always known then as Czechoslovakia, East Germany, and Bulgaria. But hey, Russia has fears. This is the inverted world of psychobabble. Russia has fears. Yes. Of whom exactly? Latvia? you know you never know those latvians may really may really attack so what is it if this uh, paranoia thing is sick literally sick it's psychological it's psychopathological but it, let's say that's not the primary reason the primary reason is the reconstituting of the russian empire and the soviet union Men want glory, not just, not just Putin. Most people who seek power love power. Very, very serious problem. That's why the founders of the United States wanted to give national leaders as little power as possible. The genius of the founders of the United States. Reveals itself to me every single day of my life. Big government always is always bad. Uh, Is the inability of the West to respond because they are held by the neck on energy issues. It is not possible, and I always measure my words, it is not possible to overstate the damage the environmentalist movement has done to the modern world. It is a fanatical, irrational, destructive movement. That is all it is. Literally that is all it is. And the Democratic Party is a vehicle of fanaticism on the left, whether it's woke on male swimmers competing against female swimmers or uh, it is canceling the xl pipeline to canada do you realize i mean whether you, if you hate donald trump and you still have any commitment to uh, to reason and truth you have to acknowledge a fact we were energy independent under donald trump In fact, we were exporting energy. We are so weakened energy-wise, look at the price at the pump. That is 100%, no, 90%, the result of Joe Biden and the Democrats, who are governed by the environmentalist lobby. That's it. These are almost all, in the vernacular of our time, rich white people. That's who they are. They're bored. They're the bored rich. I made a ton of money, and now I want to save the planet. There you go. What could be better? Then you justify your billions. Who was that guy, that Californian who wanted to run for president? It's a perfect example. You don't remember? Okay, I'll, I'll get his name. I mean, he, he was a perfect example of a bored, wealthy oh, yeah, man. Yeah this and, and and they all are. We were energy independent. We could have been supplying Western Europe with a lot of its energy. instead they went to Russia. it enriched Putin. it enabled Putin to threaten them. The prices the price of energy is high, ridiculously high in Western Europe because they have bought the lie of the world coming to an end imminently because of the use of fossil fuels, and even non-fossil fuels like natural gas. The opposition to fracking was completely irrational, as was the XL pipeline. Fracking, 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 it was a godsend fracking that's what it was when uh, when i have uh, when prager u has put out the videos on fracking and energy the, the usual attack is well we were prager u was uh, financed by by frackers i would say that the percentage of money that f- people in fracking have given prager u is 2% would you say more Five percent, uh, less than that. Less than two percent. Yeah. Okay, fine. But they lie. Lying is not a not a moral problem to the left. Oh, Prager, you supported by frackers. Hm. By the way, I would be proud if frackers supported us. Proud. The amount of good they have done dwarfs the amount of good the left has done in any arena of life. That's an article on this issue, uh, this uh, Wall Street Journal, How to Beat Putin with Natural Gas. America and its allies can wean Europe off its dependence on energy imported from Russia. The foundation of Russian power today is the energy industry, which funds Russia's foreign policy, including its formidable armed forces. Russia is an energy superpower in no small part because european consumers buy russian gas europeans wagered this is this is a classic example of every, when germany is always wrong always it is an astonishing thing the german mind does not think clearly there are exceptions to every rule but there are as many exceptions in Germany as there are to seatbelts save lives. Europeans wagered that energy interdependence, this is led by Germany, would temper Russian militarism. This is what the I thinking was with China. By the way, I, I just finished this thousand-page book on the Enlightenment, and one of the things that the, the Enlightenment people thought was, oh, if you're mutually dependent financially, in trade, you will, that will prevent people from going to war. Look at China. I would not be surprised if China invades Taiwan as a result of, of the namby-pamby response. You know why there's a namby-pamby response? Because there can't be a strong response. It's so weak, the West. The left is so weak in the West and the United States... We're getting rid of Marines because they're not vaccinated. While Russia gets bigger, its armed forces get bigger and bigger. Do you know how sick that is? (laughs) And here's the $64,000 question. You think he would have done this if Donald Trump were president? No way to know, but I would wager everything I own that he wouldn't have. 1 8 Prager 776. You are listening to the Dennis Prager Show. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. One, two. Okay. The uh, reflecting on the world of fear and irrationality on kids, and of course, I spent the first uh, the first two segments on Putin. And the notion that the Russians are paranoid about invasions because of Napoleon and, and, and Hitler—you know who should be a, a paranoid about invasions in Europe? Everybody who's near Russia. It, it is most—it uh, is so cockamamie. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's—it. It, uh, and by the way, people I deeply respect hold that view. You know, now they're not defending—they're uh, not defending Putin. Latvia should be paranoid. Lithuania, Estonia, Hungary, Poland. And uh, If you want me to go down Eastern Europe, believe me, I can. I traveled it so many times from north to south and south to north. The man wants to reconstitute the Russian Empire. That's what he wants to do. A, uh... A psychopath uh, is the head of Russia. Now, what can I tell you? Reconstitute the Russian Empire. Because it went so well for the people under the czars. Eh, great time to, to be alive. <laughs> or the Soviets for that matter. Uh, that's really something. Okay, let's see. We're a lot of uh, Glenn and Phoenix says, does now. not agree with me it would be a mistake if we went into Ukraine? I didn't, I didn't even hint that we should go into Ukraine. So I don't, I don't know why you would say that. Okay. However, if we were energy independent, it would be a far better situation. All of Russian money comes from energy, is it, even, it is even the third largest supplier of energy to the United States, forget to Europe. Under, under the last president, utterly irrationally hated by vast numbers of Americans, this country became energy independent. But people couldn't get over their own personal disgust with Donald Trump as a person. That was more important than what was good for America. Their disgust with Donald Trump as a person, which I think was overstated in in any event, but it doesn't matter. Let's say he was disgusting. Okay. I am more interested in America than I am in whether my president is lovable, likable, admirable as an individual. That's for God to decide. My decision is what is good for this country and the world. He was great for this country and great for this world. Yesterday proved it.